today we come to justification. Oh, that's right. I need my hymnal. Um, but let's begin with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the, uh, the mystery of salvation which has been revealed through your Son, Jesus Christ, to all nations, uh, that we have uh, received this and have believed it. We pray that you would help us to understand it, uh, that you would help us to understand it better, to grasp the comfort and strength that your grace uh, gives us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> If you remember last uh, week, we looked at the uh, chapter on effectual calling. Uh, That was chapter 10. Today we come to chapter 11, which you can find again in the back of the hymnal um, in the Confession of Faith on page 855. If we remember uh, Romans 8 verse 30, uh, it speaks of both of these things, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so, here speaking of this work of God's grace, beginning in eternity, taking effect in history, in the life of the sinner who was Uh, born again, converted by God's grace. Uh, We looked at effectual calling last week where God regenerates the sinner and so enables him to receive the grace offered by exercising faith. Uh, And now we look at one of those benefits that he receives in Christ, uh, justification. So let me begin by reading the first paragraph of justification. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. This article, this paragraph, uh, begins by kind of briefly describing what justification is and what it is not. Um, It's actually very similar in some ways to the catechism question and answer, uh, although it adds some details, especially on what justification is not. The catechism mostly focuses on what justification is. Um, Does anyone want to read what the, I know the children have the catechism question on their coloring page. Does anyone want to read what the catechism says? Or anyone have it memorized that want to recite it? What is justification? No? Yes. Very good. 
You can sing it as well as say it. That's good. So justification, as it says in the catechism there, is, is an act. Uh, it is a, a sentence, we might say. Think of the image of a judge, you know, who pronounces someone, what, is it, what does a judge pronounce someone as, right? Guilty or innocent, you know, he makes a pronouncement. Now, does that make the person righteous? Well, judicially, but hopefully it's because he already is righteous that he says he's righteous, or he's already guilty, and that's why the judge says he's guilty. Um, that's, that's normally the way things work. He's pronouncing, he's declaring, though, so that in the eyes of the state or in the eyes of the law, that person now is, is righteous or, or guilty. And if he's guilty, he's also then condemned, right? He, he gets sentenced to some penalty for, for what he has done. Whereas if he's righteous, uh, he's not. He has no condemnation held against him. Well, in God's court, God is the judge, and we are the people that appear before him. We all will literally appear before uh, the judge on the last day. Christ will be the judge on that day. But um, even now, God is the judge of all the earth, and uh, he um, sees all and he knows all, he, he judges all men, and uh, is a man righteous or, or guilty, just in himself? Both. <laughs> Both, that's a good answer once we get be- into what we receive in Christ, that we are sinful, we do sinful things, but as, as Christians who believe in Christ, we are also Righteous, And that's kind of what justification is getting at. How are we counted as righteous even though we have sinned? Because apart from Christ, we are sinners. And we are under the sentence of, of condemnation before we believe in Jesus Christ. But um, there is a righteousness that is counted to us, that is reckoned as ours, because we are connected to the one who is righteous. And who is the one who became our righteousness. Christ, Jesus Christ. Uh, and he came to, uh, for our forgiveness, that we might be counted as righteous in God's sight. Uh, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us by the judge, uh, that we might be forgiven our sins, that the penalty for our sins might be removed, that there's no condemnation unto death, but rather a justification, uh, a declaration of righteousness. Uh, unto life. And so he, he, the confession begins by saying that those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous. First, it begins just, what is justification? Not, um, justification is this judicial act. Uh, it's not God's work of infusing us with righteousness, this work of sanctifying us, which is going to talk about in a different chapter, um, that would be the more Roman Catholic understanding is that we are declared righteous because God makes us internally righteous, that because we are now uh, righteous in our ways and our thoughts and our our deeds, by God's grace, they would say, uh, but it's on that basis that we are accounted righteous rather than Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. But um, the, the Confession of Faith rightly notes that the biblical language of justification is 
is uh, that of, of an act, of accounting, of declaring. For example, what word, I've already mentioned it a couple times now, what word is the opposite of justification? Condemnation, yes. Uh, the opposite of justification is condemnation. Uh, does condemnation mean to make someone uh, unrighteous? No, no. You know, when you condemn someone as guilty, you're not making them guilty. You're, you're declaring that they're guilty. Um, and so similarly with justification, it's not the work of, of infusing righteousness into us, but rather by uh, declaring us righteous, and we are declared righteous by grace. Now, Romans uh, is very helpful on this doctrine generally, and we might find in <clears throat> chapter 8, verses 32 through 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. You know, so we have this language of, of charges being brought, but no one can bring charges against God's elect because God has justified them. Uh, and who is there to condemn, therefore? You know, who is there to condemn? Uh, condemn is the opposite of justify. And God justifies sinners by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous. Uh, Romans, eight, uh, Romans 4 is another important passage, verses 5 through 8, it speaks of how God justifies the ungodly. Uh, He declares righteous those who yet sin, uh, to those who have sinned, who uh, do not deserve this, but have been given this as a gift. It says in verse 5 through 8, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right, so we see first of all that it's the ungodly who are justified, so that would be different than the Roman Catholic understanding that, that the people who have been made godly or, or righteous are, are justified. Uh, it also speaks of the one that we are counted as righteous. God counts righteousness to us. It's not merely the forgiveness of sins, but you're positively declared righteous, but then also those sins are forgiven. Those sins are covered. Lawless deeds are forgiven. And it's apart from works. It's not on the basis of anything that a sinner has done. The, the one who does not work but believes in him uh, is justified. Let's go on to, to the next phrase in that paragraph. <clears throat> they are justified not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. Now, there's both the, the Roman Catholic heir that's in, in view here, but also the uh, kind of classic Arminian view that's in view here. Uh, that of saying that, oh, Christ died so that God could lower the bar so that now, instead of having to obey God's law perfectly, the righteousness that he requires from you is simply to believe in Christ. 
or you know, to believe in Christ and do some sincere good deeds, which will now be imputed to you for righteousness. Um, but uh, that is being rejected here is, is not the way it works, because that would still put us then relying upon our works to be justified. Even if it's not perfect works, it still works. Um, even faith itself then would be being treated as a work uh, that one would do, uh, that would supply that righteousness. But what, instead of our works or our faith, what is the righteousness of the Christian? What is the grounds of our justification? What's the basis upon which uh, we are forgiven? Yes, yes. The, the obedience and the satisfaction of Jesus Christ. Uh, we say we're justified by faith, and we'll get to how faith works in a second, but we're also justified by Christ, or uh, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, by Christ alone, uh, only on that basis. We're talked about being justified by his blood, for example, in Romans 5, verse 9. Since, therefore, we have been now justified by his blood. You know, so it is by his death on the cross, which was both an act of obedience and satisfaction uh, for us, that we have been justified. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we find this as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him sin to for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In, in what sense did Jesus become sin? How did God make Jesus sin? Did, did Jesus ever sin? No. 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 Roman, did Jesus ever sin? No. Very good answer. And so Jesus did not sin. So how, in what sense, in what way did God make Jesus sin? Does that sound like a difficult question? Yes, he, it was our sin that was held against him, that was laid upon him, like Isaiah 53 says. The, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him, was, was imputed to him, was reckoned as his. And that's why he was judged. He was cursed. He was condemned for our sins. And so it's in the same sense that we become the righteousness of God. Uh, it is his righteousness that is reckoned as ours. Uh, his righteousness having atoned for those sins, uh, having paid for them completely so that he rises uncondemned, that his righteousness uh, is then imputed to us. As our sins were laid upon him, so his righteousness is laid upon us. As he received the condemnation of our sins, so we receive the justification of his righteousness. And so he perfectly obeyed the law. He lived without sin. He died a cursed death to make satisfaction for his people's sin. People's sin. And so since he paid this debt to the law in full, he rose from the tomb 
as his justification. God justified Jesus, too. Jesus was declared righteous because he was, in fact, righteous. And so he was let out of prison. He was let out of the tomb. It could not hold him any longer. There was nothing to be held against him. And that he did for us, too. The Bible speaks of it as his justification and that he rose for our justification. And so this declaration is imputed to his people. And now they receive and rest upon him and his righteousness. Notice, they don't receive and rest upon their faith. You don't believe in your faith for justification. They receive and rest upon Christ and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is the gift of God. So faith is not the grounds, the basis, but it's the instrument by which you receive Christ and his righteousness. You know, you... What do you use to eat your food? Do you use an instrument? Utensils. Utensils. That's another word for what we use. Yeah, you use them to eat, to get the food into you. Well, faith is the instrument by which we receive Christ and his righteousness. It's the means by which we apprehend him, to use an older word, by which we receive him. Certainly a biblical word. And even faith is a gift of God. That goes back to what we talked about last week with effectual calling. He's the one that renews our wills, enlightens our minds, you know, enables us to believe. All right, that's a lot on Article 1 because there's a lot of meat there, but there's a lot of other articles here. Let's go to Article 2 or Paragraph 2. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. Really important point here. We're justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It is only faith that has this function, but, the just, but that saving faith is never apart from uh, good works and, and all the, the godly virtues that uh, are produced in a converted person. Uh, faith is not il- alone, but it alone is the instrument of justification because it's unique. Faith is not like all the other virtues. Faith receives. Um, it, it has a unique function, therefore, in receiving a gift that is freely given. It doesn't, it's not like it stands out from the rest by being like especially pleasing to God, that God really loves faith and he doesn't really love love. No, it's because faith receives a gift that's freely given, but it always is with love and, uh, and all the other uh, virtues that would accompany it. Uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, uh, love, brotherly affection. <clears throat> and so... Um, Faith receives and rests upon Christ. It's the means by which you lay hold of him and receive him and all his benefits. Justification is by faith and by faith alone. Scripture makes it clear. It's by faith and not works. Uh, Faith and not the works of the law. Um, In Romans 3, in Galatians 2, in Philippians 3. But it's not alone in the person justified. And so we find James 2. That faith without works is dead. Can that faith save him? No. Uh, because it wouldn't be true faith that receives and rests upon Christ. What's the faith that the demons have? The demons have faith in the sense that they believe that God is one. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But do they receive and rest upon Christ for their salvation? 
No, no. Um, do they therefore follow Christ because they've trusted in him? No. You know, so their faith is, is different, even though it might be, the word faith might be used. But a saving faith that rests in Christ will also demonstrate itself by good works. Let's go on to Article 3. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are justified. Sorry. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are thus justified, and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice in their behalf. Yet inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely... Not for anything in them, their justification is only of free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. And so, the point of this article is that justification is both just and of grace. That God's justice is completely satisfied, that the bar was not lowered, the the penalty for sin was carried out, Uh, But it was also of grace because God didn't need to supply a redeemer. He didn't need to send his son. It's not that anything was in you to provoke him to to do this work for you or for his righteousness to be counted as yours. So it's of God's free grace alone, but it's not like it was at the expense of his exact justice. And so both are glorified in this work or this act of justification. Now, when are we justified? That's the focus of the next paragraph. God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. So, when is a person justified? Yes, yeah, so when they come to faith in Christ, when the, when the Spirit applies Christ to them at a point in their life. Now, it could be uh, any point in their life. You know, God can work in the elderly. He can work in infants. He can work in uh, middle age. You know, but at some point in a person's life, the Spirit will apply Christ to that person. And before that, they're still under God's wrath and condemnation, they're still under judgment, even though God loves them and has chosen them in Christ and has elected them unto justification, and because he loved us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, So there's a sense, yes, he, he decreed to justify all the elect from eternity, and Christ did, uh, die and rise again for their justification, but we're not justified from all eternity. We're not justified from the time of Christ's work. And that's what a lot of antinomians at the time were teaching, that we are justified already, and and faith is just realizing that we are justified. Um, But that would lead to uh, antinomian tendencies to to reject the need for for a really changed life at that point, or conversion, or, or repentance but also is simply not the way Scripture speaks of justification, that it is by, by faith and not simply recognized by faith. <clears throat> now, Article 5, or, or Paragraph 5, then describes, well, what about 
after your conversion, how does, what is the relevance of justification for the rest of your life? God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified, and although they can never fall from their state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So what about the sins that believers commit after their conversion? Does justification just cover all the sins up to that point? Uh, does justifica- are, you, are you forgiven from all your sins before you even commit them? Well, there's, there's different errors that you could fall into here. First, on the, on the one hand, sins are not forgiven before they're committed. Uh, God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified. Um, one reason we, we pray, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, that God continues to forgive them uh, throughout our life. So, on the other hand, a person does not fall from the state of justification every time he sins. It's not like he sins and, oh, now I'm not justified, and then he forgives me again, now I'm justified again, and now that's almost a, the Roman Catholics tend to that way of thinking, at least if it's a mortal sin depends on the sin. They classify different sins. Some of them kick you out of the state of justification. Some of them not so much. Um, but then you might be again justified as you go through penance and, uh, and probably oversimplifying it. But the point here is a person does not fall from the state of justification. In fact, he cannot fall from the state of justification. It is true that once you are justified, there is no condemnation for you for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, God will, does not go back on the work that he has begun in you, working faith in you, and you're justified by that faith, and uh, that, that doesn't stop. Uh, Christ's sacrifice is made perfect for all time, those who are being sanctified, as Hebrews 10 says. So you don't fall back into condemnation. On the other hand, all right, <laughs> by your sins, uh, the justified may still fall under God's fatherly displeasure. Um, just because you are justified doesn't literally mean that God cannot see your sins, that God is not aware of your sins at all in any sense. That was another antinomian error at the time of the assembly, and you still hear that sometimes today, um, sometimes just in a confused way, because it is sent true that God you know, does not remember your sins against you to condemn you, but God as a father is still aware of what happens in your life and it may have fatherly displeasure at the sins that you commit and seek to correct and discipline you and lead you in paths of righteousness as your father. And they might not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So when you sin, even as a believer, you might lose the joy of your salvation. Uh, The light of his countenance, that, that a sense of God's favor uh, may, may uh, disappear for a time, though you might not fall from the state of justification, and you ought to humble yourself, confess your sin. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. You know, we have those assurances uh, in First John, for example, and think of the example of David. King David was justified, right? I mean, he's the one that wrote Psalm 32 that Paul quotes about justification, um, uh, he was a believer, but then he sinned great, grievously. 
with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And God certainly took note of that. And he uh, corrected David, and David came under his fatherly displeasure, and David was disciplined for that sin. But, but David humbled himself. He confessed his sin. And then we have Psalm 51 describing his, his prayer of confession, seeking God's mercy. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore the bones you have broken. Uh, this is the way the believer throughout the Christian life, then as he sins, repents and turns back to God and seeks God's mercy. My observation, this is more of my generalization, is that kind of the popular Baptistic type of uh, religion that's common in America tends to emphasize the, the once-for-all nature of your justification, that, that you were forgiven, um, but not so much about asking for God's mercy now or, or seeking forgiveness for sins once committed. That might be an overgeneralization. That's just my looking at like the hymns that people sing uh, the type of emphasis that's out there. But biblical religion is both. It gives thanks for, for past pardon, that, that you have been forgiven, there's no condemnation, but also to, to be humbled for your sins, to, uh, to seek God's mercy as we do every Sunday, and hopefully you do every day, as the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Just as we ask for daily bread, so we daily ask for the forgiveness of our sins. But also our daily, then uh, assured of God's forgiveness, that those uh, who uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, are, are are saved and forgiven. So it's not like we dwell in uh, perpetual shame and and uh, disgrace, but we're continually lifted up as we look to Jesus Christ uh, and seek His mercy that has been promised us. And the last paragraph is simply to say the justification of believers in the Old Testament and New Testament are the same in these respects. The justification of believers under the Old Testament was, in all these respects, one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. And, of course, the, the most clear argument for that is who is the model of justification by faith that's listed more than probably anyone else? Oh, I'm thinking in Scripture. In Scripture, who do they refer to the most? Abraham. I mean, thief on the cross is a good example, too. But, yes, Abraham. Abraham is listed as the one who was justified by faith. The first time that the word faith or believe, it's the same word, uh, is referenced in Scripture is Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And uh, the New Testament will refer back to him as a model for the way it works even today. Uh, So they look to the Christ who would come. We look to the Christ who has come. But both are justified freely by uh, faith alone, by God's grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, um, that we might be reconciled to God. All right, any questions or uh, uh, before we finish this lesson then on justification? Um, next lesson will be on the next chapter on adoption, but we're actually going to postpone that from next week. Um, our schedule is going to be a little different next week with the brunch before worship, so we're not going to have Sunday school uh, next uh, Lord's Day, but the week after that we'll pick up with the doctrine of adoption, which is a very short chapter, uh, but a rich topic, um, and that's what we'll come to next. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace for uh, saving us who are dead in our sins 
hating one another and being hated by one another, um, alienated and hostile and without hope, that you have washed us clean, that you have uh, declared us righteous through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, that you have received us um, and have given us even eternal life. We pray that you would continue to assure us of your love, to humble us for our, our sins in light of your mercy and grace. We pray that you would also bring this saving grace to those who yet walk in darkness, that they might believe and enjoy life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.